Touch them all, Joe! <laughs> Andy Crosby, the golden goal! For episode three of the Backstage Project podcast, I have Sam Gallant who's joining us. So I've known Sam since the early 90s. We actually went to high school together. We went to university together for a while. And then Sam took off. He, he left Toronto. He went to the U.S. We're going to talk about today in the podcast how he went to Ohio State. He did something that at the time within our friend group, like no one really understood where he was going. But Sam was always so laser focused on what he wanted to do and what he wanted to become. And all these years later, as you'll listen to on today's podcast, he has accomplished an absolute ton. And I'm so proud of him. Really happy to still call him my friend. And I hope you enjoy today's episode. Sam, welcome to the Backstage Project podcast. You know, for those people who don't know Sam well, I do. And I've had a front row seat to watch him chase his dream, you know, which continues to today, which is why he's joined us uh, on the podcast. Now, Sam, I don't want to go all the way back you know, to the high school days, our teenage years, when, when I recall you and I sharing many a laugh, riding the pine at the end of the bench for our high school senior basketball team. I wanted to fast forward a bit uh, to university and thinking about undergrad and as you made your way to grad school, you really surprised us all by deciding to go to Ohio State. So I want to look back. I want to look back at what you were thinking at the time, you know, as you left the comforts of Toronto and home and, and all your friends and headed down to the States for school. Can you can tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I, you know, when I was uh, doing undergrad, I always had a, you know, a vision to, to continue with postgrad. And at the time, like many of us looking at MBA, law school, I remember writing my LSAT and my GMAT, um, but it, it really didn't speak to kind of where I wanted to go. And I always had a vision and a dream to go into the world of professional sports, being a sport agent, sports marketing, and, um, you know, through a program at York, the Sport of Men certificate program, it kind of opened my eyes and, and doors up. So, you know, as I got into my fourth year, I looked at, you know, can I extend and continue that journey in the world of sport? And, and I'd heard and learned about a lot of programs in the U.S., postgraduate programs for a master's, or there's an MBA in sport marketing, a master's in sport marketing, and uh, ended applying to a number of them, went down to a number of interviews. Uh, Ohio University, the Ohio State, and, and ended up accepting, um, you, you know, a, a position or a, a spot in the Ohio State University Sport Management Program. Uh, and, and really what I was looking at, at that point, I felt that, you know, my journey would best be continued in the U.S. Um, getting a graduate degree in the U.S. opens up the door to a three-year visa that could transition into, you know, living in the U.S. full time. So, you know, I really, I really felt that I need, A, I need to continue my education, and B, I thought that the, the brand of a, of a large D1 school in the U.S. and the exposure really helped get me to where I need to go. Um, I ended up taking a year off and traveling around the world. And, and when I came back, I moved down. My dad moved me down to Columbus and, you know, very different. I mean, you know, York, you know, where we both went to undergrad, is a big school. Um, lots of students. Ohio State or the Ohio State was, was slightly larger, but the big difference between Canada and the U.S. is really the, the athletics uh, infrastructure. And you know, I remember you know uh, you know being having worked in the school because part of what they offer you is in addition to to doing your schoolwork and getting the degree, they also support you with roles and jobs within the university uh, to get you experience. 
So I had gotten a job working in the finance department for the athletics department, the finance group, and then also the, the ice rink, which helped me cover most of my tuition and, and some of my additional costs. But what I realized is when you, when you go to a school like the Ohio State, the, the entire budget of the athletics program was probably equal to the entire Canadian Football League and all eight of their teams at the time. Um, so that was kind of the big difference, you know, going to and working on football games where you would have 100,000 people you know, at the games and donors writing checks for 50 or a hundred thousand dollars to get their seats. Um, you know, the, at the time they were in the process of looking at building a new arena for the school. Uh, they were in a 14,000 seat arena called St. John's. Uh, and, and after I left, they built a 20,000 seat arena for the basketball team. So it's just the infrastructure and, and, and the resources for sport and having as a student access to that uh, and, and seeing the inner workings uh, where it's really run as a professional sports franchise. That was that was a really big eye opener for me, and that really helped. You know, I, I was able to. You know, that, that my greatest value coming out of that program was the experience I got in the athletics department, not necessarily anything from the the actual school programs um, or school courses that I took. Well, let's say the party was probably for the undergrads. You, you professional students, you had other objectives in mind. Yeah, no, listen, you walk around the campus and you see all the big uh, fraternities and the sorority houses, very similar to the movies. Um, you know, as a grad student, really didn't get to experience that. I went down there with a focus to, you know, work, get my degree and come back and find a job. Um, I think a lot of that's left for undergrad, but it was a great experience. And, 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 you know, being able to go to a campus like that and having a brand like the Ohio State University on your resume and the networking both for the current students, because a lot of those students are, are very, you know, are very successful today. And then having access to the alumni, because a lot of what you're buying is access to the alumni and, you know, being able to network and um, dig into their, you know, you know, connect with them after you leave, which could open up doors as well. But yeah, it was a great experience. You know, Sam, listening to you now talk about it and thinking back to, you know, how close we were back then, um, I should have listened to you a lot more. It sounds like you really knew back then exactly the way the world works and, and how, you, how you move around. And what we do know is you, you did come home. You did come back to Toronto. And while I don't need you to talk a lot about why you came back to Toronto, unless it comes out as part of you, what you're, what you're going to talk about here, but you ended up landing a job uh, with, with Chris Lang. And, and for anyone who doesn't know who Chris is, well, you're obviously not in the Canadian partnerships business. Chris, in, in some regard, has, uh, has been called a living legend. So I'd like to get you know, your sense of what it was like to start your career you know, with, with Chris and with, I guess it was called Lang and Associates or the Gem Group at the time. And um, you know, what, what, what did you learn? And if, if you could think, I guess, specifically, you're coming out of the U.S., you're, let's call it, a, you're a hotshot Ohio State sports management master's grad, and you're looking to make your name in the business. What, what's it like to work for pretty much the, the top guy? in the field in Canada? Yeah, l listen, you know, when I came back to Canada, I came back because I was, I was gone for over two years. I missed my family, um, you know, and I felt that the value of the degree I had would be more valuable in Canada, where at the, that point in time, there wasn't very many, if any, you know, post-grad programs, you know, master's degrees in sport marketing. So I felt I could leverage that for the, for the right job. You know, unfortunately, when I came back, there wasn't a lineup of people looking to hire me. I had to really network hard. And I did that through my, through the year or year plus I was away at Ohio State. Uh, and, and I ultimately got the job at Lang and Associates, you know, through, you know, Brian Lang, who was Chris's, who was Chris's son, uh, Dan Thompson, and a few other people that interviewed me and really saw value and potential in me. Um, it was great. I didn't know at the time how significant Chris was and how 
significant that company was or was going to be for my career. Um, I knew that they, they worked in sport. They consulted to a number of, uh, you know, clients in the world, Canadian Tire, Molson, on their sports strategy. Uh, Coke being a big one. You know, they'd follow Coke around the world, around Olympics, and they set up offices in, in, in you know, whether it was Tokyo, whether it was Atlanta, Sydney, leading up to the Olympics to help build the programs. But, you know, I, I got a job there and you know, it took me six months after coming back and networking. And, you know, I, I would say that, you know, at the, Chris, if people don't know who Chris is, Chris is an icon. You know, he was very heavily involved, uh, you know, when he was, uh, I think he was the secretary of Hockey Canada in building the 72 um, Summit Series. Um, you know, him and Alan Eagleson were very close and he was, you know, a lot of the, you know, architect behind that 72 series. He also was, was, you know, helped bring the Olympics to Calgary in 1988. Um, so he, you know, he, he has a long history of being involved in sport in pioneering sport and the administration of sport in Canada. Um, but, you know, at the time when I got a job at, at Langan Associates, the biggest value, you know, the biggest value was that there was a lot of really smart people in the industry working at that company at the time. And you don't realize that until 10, 20 years later, you look back at the alumni and seeing a lot of the leading people in the world of sport all came from Lang. But for me, that was, it was a networking. It was also, it gave me the foundation because I did two things at Lang. I, number one, I worked on, um, I worked on client consulting. So I worked on a number of companies like uh, Canadian Tire, Molson, um, in the U.S., some things like Sears, which really opened the door for me on how to architect sponsorship from a client side. Uh, but I always had a vision and an interest to, to, to sell. I, I love to sell. Even when dating back to York, you know, I put together a, um, and you remember this, I put together um, a, a volleyball tournament called the Mizuno Excalibur Volleyball Classic. And I remember going out and selling sponsorship and I got, uh, I got 10,000 CDs from um, BMG Music and Shaquille O'Neal. And, you know, we were able to give those away, but the, the caveat of that was we had to play the music. And I remember asking you, Mark, to come and DJ. And, you know, I think people, you know, as much as they liked Shaquille O'Neal at the time, they wanted to probably crack the CDs in half because they were listening to too much. Uh, and even going out and getting, you know, Lifesavers to be a sponsor and giving me, I don't know, how many tens of thousands of Lifesaver Sours, which was a new product at the time. I remember getting holes in the side of my mouth from sucking on so many of those Lifesavers. But I had a real vision and passion for going out and creating deals and um, finding sponsors and uh you know that was my passion and so you know and i was able to articulate that to chris when i was at lang and uh they had a, a kind of a unique division at lang um it was a very it, probably three or four people in that group and their their uh, mandate or remit was to um consult to properties so while the larger group at lang was to consult to um clients the cokes to molson's uh, this small group was architecting or engineering sponsorship for properties. Properties are leagues, events, teams. Uh, and I was led by a guy at the time named Dan Thompson. Uh, Dana Gladstone was also in that group as well. And another guy named Doug Mitchell. So I, I had, you know, kind of, you know, split my time between Architectus, which was the name of the group, uh, and Lang. And eventually I ended up, um, you know, selling sponsorship on behalf of Architectus uh, for things like Ontario Place, um, government missions, trade missions for the federal government of Canada. Um, so that really opened, that really kind of, you know, got me the, you know, the, the real experience in, in, in sales. Uh, I was able to really, you know, launch my career um, in, in, that, in that whole space. But, um, but yeah, it was a great company. I still keep in touch with everyone from that group. Um, we had at that point in time, hundreds of people in the company. It wasn't a niche company. It was, it's fairly substantial. Um, and through that time, we ended up merging with a big U.S. company called uh, Corporate Marketing Associates and became known as a gem group. And then, you know, after that merger, I ended up leaving. To hear you talk about these things, uh, a couple a couple things resonate for me in particular. One is the concept of of a, of a network and a cohort or a community. 
these people who who you meet in uh, in tranches, you know, along your career, and uh, some of them you absolutely shed for various reasons, geography, personality, whatever, and others you you kind of you kind of stick through and uh, and you maintain those friendships. I I didn't realize so earlier in your career you were actually working on non-sports properties, so that, which is which is great. We're going to get into that a little bit later in our in our chat today. Yeah, networking is important because I remember sitting in the office and you know you know two 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 desks away from me was Shannon Hosford who's the CMO for Maple Leaf Sports, so she was my colleague. You know, I had Paul Jolly at a cross who I had hired, and Paul's the AVP of Sun Life. Um, you know, I had Dan Kuzmaroff on one side of me, and Dan, Dan is, uh, you know, well-known in the world of, uh, you know, athletes, and he's a partner in Manifesto right now. Um, going back to, to remember who else, uh, you know, Heather McLean was right down the hall who ran sponsorship globally for Labatt's for a number of years. So there's a lot of, Jen Del Vecchio was near me and Jen ended up leading sponsorship for Coke and now she's in Atlanta. So I'm just going back and if I, I can start naming off like 50 more people in that group that, uh, from that company that were very successful. And all those people got their start at Lang, which made it, uh, and now they're, they're, they're in my network, but they're colleagues of mine. And, you know, you know, um, having, working on events, working long hours with, you know, you build a bond with a lot of those people. So yeah, it was great. Well, the more I hear you talk about it, the more I'm starting to understand how you know, you've been able to be so successful uh, here in Canada because you, you you know where you worked with, like the movers and shakers, you know, from early days in your career, early days in their career as well. And when you talk about the way that Lang kind of separated itself into the selling side and the property side, we've seen many other organizations to today who are trying to strike that balance and have that kind of separation to be credible and authentic to be able to do both but it's really it's really not easy to do maybe we'll talk about that a bit yeah. a little later what, what i wanted to do is i wanted you to since we have gone back in time about 20 25 years almost thinking about back then i mean the landscape is clearly clearly different today i mean if we when we say today obviously we're talking about pre-covid 19 yeah, yeah. yes yeah, not exactly not exactly today but when you're looking at properties agencies uh, and the way they operate today. When you think back to what it was like in the late 90s when, when you got into this, you know, what, are, what are the new challenges that you could never have forecasted that have come up I mean, maybe in the last 10 to 15 years that back in the late 90s weren't even a thing you spent any time on? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the world has changed so much. I mean, back when I started, you know, social media didn't exist. You know, the internet was you know, was around, but it was at the, you know, was at the, you know, kind of the beginning stages of what it is today. Um, E-commerce didn't exist. So I think there's a lot of, um, you know, at that point, sponsorship was kind of one of the, you know, new types of marketing that companies were looking to, to, to take advantage of. You know, if you wanted to access a community uh, of passionate fans, you know, the best way to do that would be through a sponsorship, which would give you intellectual property rights and access to that community. You know, these days you want access to community, you know, Facebook, you know, can target it so easily. So there's, a, you know, influencers and their communities, um, you, know, you know, influencer marketing has become really, really big. You know, so there's so many, you know, the, the world has evolved um, and that's in the space has evolved so much that um, it's a very, it's very different, I think, you know, very different. Um, you know, and, 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 and as we, you know, enter COVID-19 and you think of sponsorship, a big part of sponsorship is, is experiential marketing, is having that one-on-one -on -one interaction with fans, um, which we can't run right now. I mean, I, we, we tell people, you know, events are really the anti-social distancing business. Um, so, so it's, 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 yeah, the, the whole, the whole world has changed. 
Um, but it's become a lot more sophisticated, um, you know, and, um, you know, it, it's, you have to be, you know, you have to be, you know, you can't just be a specialist in sponsorship. You have to be, a, you have to understand integrated marketing and understand how everything connects sponsorship and I, the IP of a, a property may sit in the middle, but, you know, th there is a complete connection with the, the, the you know, the, the, the personalities and the athletes and their communities and digital. And, and you think of athletes right now, athletes have their own websites, their own social channels, you know, they're putting out their own, um, um, you think of all the, you know, the Players Tribune and all these other digital assets are writing their own stories on those. So it's very different. You know, you, you really have to be a lot smarter and think about things a lot more holistically. Well, thanks for that. And I know that, I know the world obviously is all that today, but I, I do want to challenge you on on one thing. And I'm looking forward to hearing your perspective. So you mentioned that that you left Lang uh, around the time of that, I guess, the Gem Group being created and that or the acquisition uh, yeah. of that. And, and you went to live audio wrestling. And as an executive, and I think we were like 25 at the time, and yeah. I might have had the title of manager maybe back then. So it was, it was a shock to all of us. One, that you made the move, and two, that you had such a senior position. We're all, I don't know if we were envious. You're, you're going to let us know. But looking back on that business, and I know you left maybe within a couple of years, um, and we don't have to go one into year. One, Yeah, one year. is one, one year. We don't have to go into why, why yeah. you left. Yeah. But, th but thinking about that business, and I know that it evolved and morphed into something that was kind of sustainable in time, but from what I remember about that business, it had a lot of the themes present that you just described around the way the world is today. So is it, would, you, would you say that that business was the way it was when you were there was ahead of its time? Yeah, listen, I think, you know, it was ahead of its time. Um, you know, it, you know, a lot of the components that we talk about, it had, it had a, uh, you know, it started as, as, as websites, you know, for content, websites for, for professional wrestlers. And, you know, if I remember at the time, there was a, a company in non-wrestling called Athlete Direct, which was building a lot of websites for, for athletes. We had, um, we had a wire service that provided um, news on professional wrestling. That was a partnership with the Toronto Star. Uh, we had developed a number of books that ended up, uh, we did a deal with, I think, um, McClellan Stewart or an offshoot of them and, you know, ended up producing three or four books. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of content. I mean, I think ultimately, um, you know, the, what we didn't have that a lot of these companies have now is we didn't have a lot of runway, a lot of, of VC capital. Um, I, you know, a lot of these companies now that exist, you know, I don't know how profitable they are. I think they, they have a lot of investment and they have a long runway to, to you know, to eventually be successful. You know, we didn't have that runway. Um, you know, you, you, you could argue that wrestling maybe was a little bit more niche and, you know, you know, fighting would have been, you know, UFC was, 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 you know, coming out at the time and starting to kind of compete with, uh, with, with WWE, but we didn't have enough of VC. We had friends and family. And, and after we ran out of that, we didn't have enough revenue to sustain us. And I think, um, ultimately that's one of the reasons why I ended up leaving. Yeah, listen, it was an interesting time. The, the dot-com bubble happened all around that time. Yeah. And, uh, we, we all, we all had to make an adjustment probably. You know, as we, as we project forward, probably a similar adjustment they're all going to be making in the, in yeah. the months and even, and even years ahead from today. But we're not there yet. We're still celebrating the past. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. And if we jump forward a bit in your, you know, in your life, in your career, we'll skip some of the middle stages where you did some amazing things. You ended up at IMG. And this is, is a part of your job that uh, I was always envious of, never truly understood. You got to hang around with like the most revered Canadian, basically of our generation, you know, the king of Canadian sports, if we had to crown one, you know, Wayne Gretzky. And first question, how long did it take you to stop being a fan when you actually got the chance to talk and meet and deal with Wayne? 
Listen, when you when you work in when you work in the business, you know you can always be a fan, but you gotta you gotta separate being a fan and and and, and being a business. You know, so Wayne Wayne wasn't the first athlete that that I'd worked with or I'd come across. I mean, I, you know, we had very close relationships with Mike Weir. You know, after he won the Masters, he was a client of ours. Um, you know, Steve Nash. I mean, all, all the golfers, Stephen Ames, Mike Weir, Laurie Kane, Ian Leggett, they're all clients of ours out of Canada, out of Toronto. A lot of the figure skaters, the Kurt Brownings, uh, you know, Steve Nash was a client for a number of years, kind of at the tail end of his career. Um, you know, we ran events like the Skins game where I'd be, you know, you know, I, you know, or the Legends of Golf where Jack Nicholas and, you know, to, um, you know, Sergio Garcia. So, so when, when you're in the business and, you, and you're around, the athletes all the time or the personalities like you know you can be a fan i've never asked for an autograph my, my kids will my kids still yell at me for not getting gretzky's you know three signed jerseys from wayne you know but i never i was never that that type of person to you know ask for anything and you know listen wayne wayne i was always a fan of wayne's you know i told him when i first met him that you know i had met him when i was six years old at a hockey you know banquet in in outside of hamilton where i grew up because he you know i think i don't know he was 19 at the time 18 at the time but yeah, listen, you're always a fan, but they're all, they're all human, right? At the end of the day, you know, no matter how great an athlete is Steve Nash is or Wayne Gretzky, they're human and they have human issues and human problems and they have families. You know, Wayne has, you know, you know, many kids and, you know, he's a father and, you know, he's a grandfather now. So at the end of the day, they're just human. And, and you know, once you get to know them as human beings, you know, you can be a fan, but like you got to deal with them on a human level. All right. Fair enough. I get it. I get it. Absolutely. You should have taken the chance to, I'm sure you got some pictures, but autographs, you know, I'll, I'll let your kids be the judge and jury on that one. But, but there is one particular part of Wayne's history that you're, you're a Leaf fan, right? Yeah. So did you ever, ever talk about the infamous game six in 1993? And I'll say that, you know, we generally forget about game seven where Wayne basically put the Kings on his back to get to the cup final and they eventually lost to the Habs. And that was the last time a Canadian team won the Stanley cup. But, did game six ever come up? No, not really. I mean, listen, he's a, you know, he's been to a lot of Toronto Maple Leaf games. You know, we used to share um, seats with Walter um, when, when, when we ended up, um, you know, Wayne was a client for, you know, Wayne was a client twice. He was a client for most of his career. And then when um, his agent left to go to the Phoenix Coyotes, he left. And then we brought him back about six years ago. But when he was a client the first time, we ended up buying six seats at at, um, at the Air Canada Center when it was when it was uh, built. Now it's called Scotiabank Arena, and we split the seats with uh, with Walter. So or with Wayne, he had three, we had three. So you know, I'd, I'd sit next to Walter many times at Maple Leaf games. Um, so Wayne's always been a fan of Toronto, but you know, grew up in Brantford. I mean, so we didn't get into too much of it. I mean, you know, he has fond memories of playing in Toronto. You know, he's a huge network here. You know, his, his brother, you know, his father, they're all still here. Um, but yeah, we never got into too much about, you know, that, that infamous game. Um, I think it, one small part of Wayne would have liked to play in Toronto, but, uh, you know, you know, I guess that was never meant to be. I think a small part of all of us would have liked to have seen Wayne play yeah. in Toronto. And, and just to kind of close off on Wayne, because we don't want to make it all about Wayne, it could easily be all about Wayne. Did he ever pick up his Order of Canada? Um, you know, I, 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 am not, I'm not sure if he did or not. Um, okay. You know, Fair enough. No, they, 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 that's that. all. I, I, yeah. We'll leave it at that. Absolutely. We'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. Okay. Let's move off sports for a bit. Sure. As we've heard, you're so much more than, than sports in your career. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what it was like going from, you know, wrestling, then you went into the CFL. I know you had a stint at another agency in between there, but you got testosterone or wrestling and the CFL. And then, then you're running properties in fashion and food and, Maybe talk us through the lessons that you learned as you pivoted toward these these bigger, more I call them cultural or really trendy events. 
um, things that you've learned that kind of stick with you today that maybe sports didn't really uh, give to you? Yeah, listen, I mean, every every property is the same. You know, they all have communities that are passionate about their, you know, their specific content. Um, they all have unique ways to to talk to the consumer and they all have unique intellectual property um, you know, intellectual property. So, so, you know, I mean, you know, the big, big difference between a lot of big sporting events and a lot of big cultural or entertainment events is that, you know, a lot of sports events are broadcast. There's a broadcast component. They're on TV. You know, there's, there's a certain value that you get if you watch the Raptors at the least, you know, you see a lot of the brands that, that support them through the ring boards or through the signage, you know, a lot of cultural events don't have that. So you have to be a little bit, you know, different in how you architect the partnership. IMG wasn't the first time I started working in, in cultural arts. You know, when I, you know, that one agency that I worked for between the CFL and uh, and live audio wrestling was a company called Wakeham and Associates. And so, you know, they didn't do any sports. I worked on Cirque du Soleil and I worked on the Blue Man Group. And I remember doing the, the naming rights to the Blue Man Group Theater in Toronto. It's called the Panasonic Theater. Um, but, you know, they're all, I mean, listen, it, it, it's all about how do you activate the IP and, you know, Blue Man Group was all about, you know, technology and innovation and, you know, you, you know, dynamic and, you know, the Cirque du Soleil was all about creative and, you know, um, also innovation to an extent. Um, so how do you activate that unique IP to, to really suit the needs of a, a brand? Um, but yeah, the biggest, the biggest difference is you just don't have a lot of the traditional big value of the, the, um, the, the broadcast components in an agreement. As we move forward, you know, some of those properties have larger social communities now, more now than ever. So that's something that a lot of, that you can create bespoke content, digital content now, which is, which is a big area. But, uh, yeah, I mean, those were, those were interesting times. I mean, I, I, you know, I worked on fashion week, Toronto fashion week for many years. Uh, and that was an event where, you know, it was all about, you know, money can't buy experiences and exclusive access and, you know, really activating around Canadian designers. And, you know, that was a, you know, innovation, um, you know, to culinary, which was completely different. And, and again, a lot of the same similarities between fashion and culinary. Uh, but, you know, you know, when it's all said and done, a lot of the same, you know, attributes that you take from sport are, are applicable to, you know, entertainment applicable to culture. Um, and, and, and really it's about building, you know, relationships with, with clients. You know, if you have a relationship with a CMO, a uh, head of sponsorship, uh, and you have their trust, you know, and you've built them a, a, a proposition or a partnership for a sports property, leverage that relationship and a lot of the same tools to create something around, um, you know, fashion or culinary or entertainment is very similar. And so if you look at my career and a lot of the relationships I've, I've created, you know, I've, I've been able to transition those relationships. I remember, um, you know, L'Oreal was a client of mine for many years, you know, L'Oreal Paris and then Maybelline New York for Toronto Fashion Week. And that same relationship and that same client, I was able to transition into a, you know, multi-year partnership for Garnier and Umbrella with the women's, women's national soccer team and the Canadian Soccer Association. Again, very similar attributes. You know, how are they going to leverage Maybelline in fashion and Umbrella in soccer? But it was the same relationship, the same people, uh, and a lot of the same framework to build build a partnership. It's amazing to hear you talk about all the brands and the different applications of your skills to be able to to drive uh, value for partners and obviously revenue for properties. And we won't we won't go deep into this, but thinking about the world now, it seems like every every facility you know whether that's a, a sporting facility or recreational facility or a mall really you you name it they're all looking for sponsorship we we know that you know our friend you know chris lang is he's big into the uh what i would call the the mass transit infrastructure whether it's airports or trains or subway and working with them so 
it's just amazing to see the evolution and not just about the sign, but it's also about the experiences that have been created over time in the, in these locations as well. Amazing. Amazing to see it. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I still believe if you think of what is sponsorship and what is the root and, and the core of sponsorship, it's really about, I mean, I'll tell people it's the Olympics, right? When you, when you, when you buy the Olympics and you're a global sponsor, you're a top sponsor of the Olympics and you're spending, you know, lots of money on a, on a four year and eight year uh, quadrennial uh, uh, you know, partnership, you're really not buying signage. You're not, what you're buying is, is IP. You're buying the association with the rings and how can that associate association with the rings, um, you know, elevate your brand and your, in your, your proposition. And that's what sponsorship is. So, you know, you know, sponsorship is, is, is it's been used loosely. I think, you know, uh, you know, a lot, a lot of it's been confused with outdoor, um, experiential, you know, um, so, you know, that's how I, you know, it, you know, a lot of the stuff I work on is, you know, true sponsorship is, is there a value? If you buy a sponsorship with a property, is there value to promote a relationship with the name and, and the IP of that property? And if there's not, then is it really a sponsorship or is it something else? Is it sampling? Is it experiential? Um, anyway, so it's just a side topic. No, no, it's, a, it's really important to round out the topic and we, you know, we, for this, for the scope of what we're talking about today, we won't get into the various ecosystem of agencies that, that support partners with how you execute, but it is, it is complicated, but that, that is the world we live in today when, when marketing is not simple. Uh, I'd like to take, uh, take you back a little bit, not, not too far back in the past, uh, just back a few years. So when I was, uh, when I was thinking myself about the acquisition of, uh, of IMG by WME, I didn't, I didn't know WME uh, other than, uh, cause I'm, I didn't spend a career in the film and television business. Uh, I didn't know they were, you know, 125 year old agency. They basically invented the agency model to begin with. And, and I understand that, you know, the world that you're living in now, which is more the endeavor world, you know, with Ari Emanuel is, is, is the reality of, t- of today for, for your business. And quite frankly, I didn't know who Ari Emanuel was except for the comparisons with Ari Gold and Entourage. So that, that, that's my whole education of your world. And obviously it was very different from the world, the world that I am in. But if you think to this, this time, because you've been here the whole time, at least from the Canadian perspective, when you think to this time as, as you saw IMG, you know, become WME IMG to become Endeavor, you know, how is that, that Hollywood flair that is very much in the DNA of Endeavor and WME impacted the sports practice um with what used to be img i mean i i still work i mean i i still work at img i mean img is part of endeavor endeavor is like our you know think of a holding company it's a network it's uh it, we're, we're you know img is the google and endeavor is the is the alphabet um you know i think you know when you think of our company um you know we just are so connected in in every facet of the world of sport and entertainment um, that, you know, no matter what you watch, no matter what you see, we have a, we have a touch point. You know, we were talking last night about the last dance, but we co-finance the last dance through Endeavor original content. You know, the producer of the last dance is, um, you know, is a WME client. Scotty Pippen is an is a WME client. Um, you know, so we're, we're so connected and everything, you know, all that means is that, you know, we have the ability to to really offer a you know access and an offering that nobody else can offer, um, and we have the ability to to leverage every relationship for for a different relationship. So when I think of when I think of our group, I mean we, we announced last year, early this year, a new event that we created with The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. 
You know, The Rock is probably one of our largest clients um, at WME. Everybody knows The Rock, you know, you know, Connection to Canada used to play at the CFL early in his career, you know, one of the you know, best professional wrestlers and now the, probably the most iconic you know, Hollywood, um, you know, Hollywood movie star. Um, but him and his business partner, Danny Garcia, always had a vision to build a fitness and athletics festival. Um, you know, any other agency wouldn't, you know, it would just be a discussion. We were able to, 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 to transition, take that, that vision of Danny and, and, and Dwayne and launch a, you know, launch an event called Athleticon, um, which was scheduled to take place this, this October in Atlanta. And we're still working through that. Um, but, you know, it's because access, right? Like, you know, when we, when Endeavor acquired part of UFC, we were able to then take equity offerings to, I think it was 20 or 25 WME clients. So I guess the, the connections, I mean, we just announced a, par, a program the other day around um, Mario, Super Mario Tennis. And we're going to be, you know, it's, we're going to be doing an event on Facebook Live with many of our top tennis athletes that are going to be playing against each other for charity. So it's because the access, you know, we, we our digital group in our client sports clients group and our tennis group or everyone's working together. So it, it's just, it's just amazing. And that's kind of the power of our company. It's, it's, it's weak. You know, there's nothing we can't do, um, you know, in that world. And there's nothing we don't have access to. It's just, you know, how do we harness the full power to, to achieve the best results? Well, so that sounds really exciting. And you did a terrific job of, uh, of bringing it together so that people who aren't in the day to day and don't understand the minutia of how Endeavor and it's holding companies work, uh, Hopefully when they listen to, to you talk on this podcast, we'll have a great idea of what, of what makes the company company so great. So thinking through uh, you know, what we, how we structure this, uh, the backstage project, we, we do ask every guest uh, a couple questions. Uh, and there are a couple here that, um, that you actually already answered, so we won't bother uh, going into those. But there are a couple that I'd like to ask. Uh, you just give us your off-the-cuff kind of response, and uh, we'll see how it goes. So if you had to pick one moment you know, in your career, what was the most memorable? Ah, the most memorable moment. Um, <laughs> there's so many. I'm trying to. I'm trying to uh, to think through. I, I, I remember. I remember. You know, um, being at the 2002 Grey Cup. I'm trying to think, it was 2000, 2002 Grey Cup in Edmonton. You know, and I put together a partnership for Lotto 649. You know, they had just celebrated their 20th anniversary and they wanted to do a special draw. So I, had, I architected a program where in, in the month of October, you know, they do a special draw for up to, I think it was up to, to, to 49 winners that would get a all expense paid trip to, um, you know, to Edmonton at the time. Um, and then they would all be brought onto the field and they do a special draw for $6.49 million. Uh, and, um, I remember being at the gray cup and watching that transpire. Uh, and, uh, it was a, it was a couple, I, I think they were kind of newly immigrated to Canada. Uh, I think they were janitors at the university of Calgary, uh, and they'd won the $6.49 million, you know, prize at, on the field at the gray cup. But I guess watching that, you know, I mean, again, as a salesperson and as, as a, as an architect, you know, when you build something and you see it come to fruition, um, you know, those are, those are great times and I can go back through my career and, you know, remember like, you know, 30 of those, you know, opportunities, um, that have come to fruition, um, in, in unique circumstances, but that, that would, that would be one, um, you know, that, that existed. I remember, I remember another point, you know, when I started IMG, you know, you know, I was quick to do a number of large programs at IMG, which kind of set me apart from everybody else on my team. Um, but I remember, you know, one of the quick things I had done was we, we had done some work with, um, uh, the, 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 I think it was the 
world snowboarding tour. I don't know if that's, you know, they did a number of events around the world and we, we were running an event in um, Whistler and we called it Snow Scene. So I remember doing a small deal at the time, online poker was becoming very big. Um, and I did a small deal with a, you know, local advertising agency. I think it was McKinnon Calderwood at Mississauga with Party Poker. And they become a sponsor, it's broadcast on CBC. So I, I, went, I went up to Whistler um, and this is funny because I'm on a skier. I never really skied. I never grew up skiing. I never snowboarded. Once I snowboarded and I almost broke my wrist. Um, but I remember I'd done a deal with them and then their global head of sponsorship out of Gibraltar flew up and wanted to be there. Um, and so I, I didn't realize at the time that the actual site of the snowboarding event was up in the mountain. Uh, and the only way to get there was to ski. So, you know, I remember talking to him and, you know, he's like, okay, I'll meet you up at the site. And I go back to one of my colleagues, Skip, his name was Skip, Mark Taylor. I said, what do I do? And he goes, just get your snowboard, get your skis, go up on the lift and ski down. I'm like, I don't ski. So they had to organize a snowmobile for me. And I remember going up in the ski lift with no skis. Everyone's looking at me and there was a snowmobile waiting at the top that took me down. So I thought that was interesting, but like literally two hours later, I remember, you know, being at the site with, with this guy, Piot was his name. He was a great guy. And, um, you know, he said to me, you know, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be great to do a, a poker event where you bring the top athletes from snowboarding and surfing and wakeboarding together and create some type of global poker tournament? I'm like, yeah, it's, that'd be great. And I remember coming back to the office and uh, spoke to my boss at the time, Brad. And Brad's like, yeah, call, call, call up James out of LA, our LA office. He could help you. So I ended up calling James and literally four months later, we ended up doing a multi-million dollar partnership. And we created literally six events around wakeboarding and snowboarding and skateboarding and had the best athletes playing poker against each other. It was amazing. So those are, those are kind of key moments. I probably have 50 more of those, but uh, you know, to see things like come up with creative ideas and see them come to fruition and, and how they materialize are always, uh, are always great. No, thanks for sharing those. And I think um, when I talk to other people, you know, more in the, in the technology space and entrepreneurs, you know, this concept of ideas are cheap, you know, execution is everything. And it sounds like you've been able to see um, many of those ideas through and build them into something not, not, just, not just real, but, but sustainable. And hopefully uh, it created some kind of positive ROI. Uh, for your clients. And um, a lot of people uh, would, would only dream of being able to have that, that kind of success. So thanks for sharing those no nuggets problem. of how those, those moments of, you know, Eureka happened for you. Uh, Cause you know, th those are buried, those are buried deep inside all of us. And uh, it's great to do chats like this where we get to talk about them and celebrate them, but also learn from them. And really to, for people who are listening, it's, it's not easy coming up with the idea is hard enough, but being able to see it through, have the work ethic to see it through. I mean, that's something that I've known about Sam for, I think we've known each other for over 30 years and absolutely that whole time, you know, that, that work ethic, that focus that you've had, uh, very envious of it. I have a lot of it myself too, but I didn't have it when we were 16 and 17, when you were basically, uh, an encyclopedia of last night's, uh, sports page in the Toronto star, you already knew it by the next morning. And there was no internet back then. So that was always impressive. So thinking back to that time, as we, as we quickly wound the clock back, for people who are looking to get into the space now, and let's, let's assume when there is a normal, so not yeah. at this very moment, for people looking in, to get into the space now, what kind of advice would you have for them? It's funny. I, 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 I do. I'm, I get emails. I just got an email literally 10 minutes before our, uh, you know, this interview on people reaching out to me and, you know, I have a son, I have a daughter, I have a, you know, a friend's, you know, son, whoever the case is wants, want to get into the industry. So I, I do a lot of these calls. Yes. It's, it's, it's very challenging. Listen, it's a phenomenal um, industry. It's a phenomenal space. But if you think about it, 
you know, how many jobs really exist, entry-level jobs exist, and how many programs exist now in the university system that are being built specifically for this industry. I think now Brock, Laurentian, Ryerson's just launched a program. You have the, the colleges like George Brown. Um, York doesn't have a sport of in program, but obviously there's a lot of people coming out of York wanting to get into the space. You know, they have a business, a sport business association. So you have thousands of people coming specifically from these programs graduating. And then you have everybody else who loves sport that want to get into the industry. So my, my advice is, you know, there's, there's two pieces of advice. Number one, um, if you want to get into the industry um, at the entry level position, your best bet is to find a very specific program, um, whether it's undergrad or whether it's a post event program that has an internship. And, you know, if they have a good, you know, George Brown would be an interesting program, you know, they do, I think, three cycles or two cycles now, but they've been around a long time and they have relationships with a lot of the different organizations. So your best bet to get a in, into the door is through an internship and then it's proving yourself. You know, we, we would hire one to two interns a year. We have up to 15 interns a year at IMG, you know, during the height of our times, you know, recently over the last couple of years. Um, Maple Leaf Sports does the same thing. You know, you want to get into Maple Leaf Sports, you get to be an intern and then you are, you become the cream of the crop and then they'll hire you. Um, you know, if you're not the cream of the crop, they won't hire you, but you get good experience. But it, it, then it's up to you. You know, it's, it's a proving ground. Like it's, it's like being a professional athlete. At every level, you're in the minor leagues. You got to be the best. Then you get elevated. Um, it's the same thing in the industry. There's so many people that want to get in and be in it that, you know, it's, it's hard. And so you got to figure out a way to get your foot into the door. Uh, and then it's up to you. You know, I mean, it, it, it's very difficult to stay in the industry um, as well. I mean, I, you know, I see so many people that I knew at different levels of my career that are completely out of the industry because as you get more senior there's less jobs it's like reverse rever it's like a pyramid you know there's less jobs as you get more senior um so the, the internship would be the first um you know um i guess piece of advice the second piece of advice is you know don't get in don't get into the industry now um go out and become a specialist in digital marketing go and work for a brand if you're coming out of a, a bba a bcom an mba go be a brand manager go be a head of marketing go work in a in, a, in, in something that may have a connection to sport so you may go run you know, a brand in Nike or an Adidas or, uh, you know, in media and become an expert and then kind of midway through your career, make the jump or even three, four years in, because then you have a, maybe a different level, a different pro value proposition than someone coming right out of school. Um, but it's tough, right? And, and an example of someone like that would be, you know, um, a George Judas, you know, George worked, I don't know how many years, 10 years and in Labatt's was a brand manager for Bud Light for many of these different brands. And, you know, he decided he, he always wanted to be in the world of sport. And so eventually he got into, he got a role in partnerships. I think it was the NFL, you know, NBA, he's worked at the NFL and NBA. Now he's at the, the NHL. But, 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 you know, again, if you come with a mindset of, you know, you're a brand manager, you activate a sponsorship, you know how a brand works, that is a different value proposition to someone who doesn't have that experience. So th those would be the two pieces of advice I would give. It's just very competitive um, as well. So, you know, don't give up, you know, if, you, if you're committed and you want to be in the industry, like, you know, like you f figure it out. And, you know, if you're, if you're smart, you're motivated, you're ambitious, um, you know, you will, you, will, uh, you will get into it. And I've, you know, I've had lots of discussions with people that I've, you know, had discussions with 10 years ago, you know, and, and you know, and I would tell them the same thing. It's very difficult. It's very hard. And then 10 years later, I, I meet them again and maybe in the industry and they persevered. So they found the inner drive to, to make it. 
but it's not an easy industry and it's an industry that 90% of the people, 10% of the people make 90% of the money. So if you think you're getting into the world because you're going to make a lot of money, uh, I would tell you um, maybe, maybe like if you become a CEO or a president or a CMO, you know, of a big organization, that's going to be the case, but you know, you have to have a passion for it. Um, if you want to make a lot of money, go into, go into private equity, go, go, go work for a startup where you get equity, do something, you know, doc, do something else. Don't get into this industry if you're, that you want to make it rich. Um, you will eventually, you know, if you become, you know, 20 years from now, but it's, it should be a motivating factor. Michael Downey told me that. I think, uh, Michael Downey is the, you know, the president of, uh, tennis, CEO of tennis Canada. And he's had a very storied career. And I remember doing an informational interview with him seven o'clock, eight o'clock in the morning, you know, at, at the Raptors. Cause at the point that time he was the VP of partnerships 22, 23 years ago. And he said, just take, get your great, get the job. Doesn't matter what you make, get into the right organization and, and just build your resume. Cause at some point you will make money, but that shouldn't be the, your focus the first five, 10 years of your career. No, listen, you, You've had a great career, as you've described today. There absolutely has been ups and downs. I know we focused a little more on, on the ups for today, but, uh, but it's important for people to realize that um, they have to persevere. They have to want it. This is not just about passion. You, know, you might like sports. You might like art. You might like food. Um, and that's okay. You know, liking what you do is super important, but there, there's no substitute for hard work. And I don't know if you actually have an answer for this next question because you no. might have already described it about 10 different ways already in our chat today. Uh, but is there anything when you look back to the kind of beginning of your career, uh, is there anything that you know now that you wish you knew then? Yeah, the, 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 you know, the only thing, I mean, the, the, two, the two things, the two pieces of advice I could give, and it, it's advice because you know, I should be taking it as well. Number one, you know, always value everybody in your company and even the interns in your company because you never know where someone's going to be. So, you know, having been at IMG for 15, close to 15 years, you know, we've had a lot of great interns and maybe at certain points in my career, I, 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 I've had so many, so many interns, I don't know half their names anymore. They all look the same, but you know, really, you know, pay attention to that because you never know someone, where someone's going to be. And now when I look back at the history, especially some of the younger interns from earlier in my career, they're in very, very senior positions. So it's, it's about building relationships externally and internally. The same thing with your, your colleagues. I mean, I remember Brian Lang telling me, you know, he always tried to take out or go to lunch with a different colleague every week because um, it's like that's their network as well. You know, your colleagues are going to be colleagues for a year, two years, six months, but you never know where they're going to end up and they could be your biggest net piece, you know, biggest assets in your network. So those are two pieces of advice I think are important. You know, you know, manage your, you know, your colleagues and your internal relationships as are external. And also, you know, build relationships with people like interns, because at some point they may be CEOs of a company if they're very good and uh, they could be very valuable to your network as well. So that is very insightful and helpful perspective on, on the world in general, regardless of, of what industry our, our listeners might be in. You know, I've asked a lot of questions today, um, conscious of your time, because I know you're just running to the next thing. Uh, but in the time we do have, uh, is there anything that's burning on your chest that you wanted to get out that maybe I haven't covered? You know, I've, you know, I've had a, you know, I've had an interesting career. I mean, I think we, we talked about most of my my roles, you know, the wrestling, the laying, the Canadian Football League, you know, it's, uh, you know, and I've spent, I spent 15 years almost at, at, at my company. I love, I love, you know, IMG and Endeavor. It's a phenomenal company. And being 15 years in a company is a long time. I mean, especially in this day and age. Um, but yeah, listen, I'll, I'll, all I can say is, listen, you know, I mean, you know, we didn't get too much into COVID-19. You know, the world now is very different than it was two, three months ago. And, you know, hoping that we'll be back to normal 
you know, sooner than later, because, you know, the entire world of, of professional sports and events and experiential is, it, like many other, you know, industries is challenged. But uh, listen, I'm optimistic about that. And, you know, I guess, you know, I, I think I work for phenomenal companies. So I, I don't know if there's not, nothing else I want to, unless you have any specific questions or topics we didn't cover. No, no. And by any means, I mean, this is not meant to be a, an audit at all. This is, uh, this is meant to be an insightful chat, learning a bit about you obviously giving a lot of value to the audience so they, they learn what it's like to have kind of a one-on-one -on -one private chat with sam when when he takes a trip down memory lane and mm -hmm. uh, and you absolutely delivered on that i really appreciate that you took the time to join us today i hope you and your family are well and are staying Thank safe you. and you too. i absolutely uh look forward to seeing you again physically soon um but just thanks again for joining us yeah no problem the backstage project podcast is brought to you by ready set go they help organizations create extraordinary digital products. To learn more, go to readysetgo.design. If you would like to get in touch with Mark and the team at the Backstage Project Podcast, please email us at info at tpbpodcast.com.